Hello everyone, welcome. This is God Talk with Tara and I am Tara. Um, we're going to begin as always with prayer and dive in tonight. Hopefully this will go up a little bit earlier than normal and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Father, thank you for your day. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your hope. Thank you for conversations, Lord God, that you move in. Thank you for the work, Lord, that you are doing in the world and the invitation to your people to join you in it. I praise you, God, for all of the things that you are. Not just the things you do, Lord. I think oftentimes we get focused on that, but it is who you are that is worthy of praise. And who you are that makes a difference in who we are. So, Father, tonight I pray that you would make me small and magnify who you are in whatever words I speak. I pray that you would move ahead of those words and touch the ears of those who are listening, Lord God, so that they would hear your voice calling to them in whatever wilderness they find themselves in right now. Father, I pray that they would know your grace and your mercy, and most of all, God, I pray they would know your love. Ask all of this in Jesus' name and by his spirit and all for your honor and glory, Lord God. Amen. So I started the day off with reading the seedbed, uh, the wake-up call as usual. And we are, I believe, in the third day of the Lent uh, study that we're doing with Dan Wilt. Um, and as I was reading through, something jumped out at me. I had thought we were going to be talking about the next step of, of the thoughts from last night on sin and moving into definitions of hell. And I wasn't actually looking forward to that. I don't particularly mind discussing those things, but it was not where my heart was wanting to go right now. My heart was wanting to go to deliverance and we ended with that, a plea for deliverance last night. So imagine my delight this morning when the Lord led me to, to talk of his love um, and what that is. More importantly, what love in general is. Because I think we talked yesterday about sin and one of the reasons that we are so prone towards sinning is we don't understand our own loves and desires. We don't understand God's love and desires. We don't understand God as love, which is how scripture describes him. But we don't know what scripture means when it speaks of love. And so we settle for all of these various shades and twistings that we get in the modern English language, although I'm sure there were the same kinds of shades and twistings in most of the languages of humanity, because love is a very difficult concept for us to understand. And so oftentimes today when we discuss love, we, we might think of it in terms of duty and a commitment to stick with a person. That could be one of the things we think of with love and it carries a heavy weight with it and very little joy. We might also think of the giddy happy feeling that we got when we first met our spouse or our boyfriend or um, 
someone else. We might think of the feeling that we have when we first look on our child when it's born. We might think of the affection that we hold toward a parent or a sibling. Um, and all of these are part of what love is, but they are not the whole of what love is. And because of that, it is very easy for us to get twisted and get off track. And the thing that caught my eye in this morning's wake up call was a line that Dan uh, wrote towards the end of the devotion that stated, the enemy can challenge your calling and mine when our loves are out of order. And he does this with ease. So each of us has been created and called by God for a purpose in the world that we live in. There is not a one of us that is here by accident. There is not a one of us that has not been called by God. And that includes those who have not yet answered that call. There is not a person on this planet that is here by accident. God is the creator God. He is all sovereign. He is all knowing. He is all powerful. He is the one that created all of creation. There's nothing within creation that is not here because he called it into being with a purpose. So when we fail to understand love in a biblical context, it is very, very easy for the enemy of our souls to convince us that we are mistaken. Either we won't be able to move forward with the thing God has called us into because something else has a hold of our affections, or we will find ourselves miserably unhappy and we don't understand where our loves being out of order is part of what is causing that. And that is because we don't understand a biblical concept of love. And so God today in his infinite wisdom sent me to scripture and said, you need to look at love. And I went, okay, great. We're going to do first Corinthians 13 because that's the clearest description of love in scripture. And we are going to look at that for a minute tonight, but God pointed me to something else this evening before coming to that chapter, because there is a verse in chap in first John um, chapter, I believe it's four where, oh, and I lost the verse. No, that's not good. So anyway, you probably know this verse where John ends what he says that, that, those who do not have love do not know God because God is love. So there's three different words at play in this verse of John um, or in this, this chapter of 1 John 4. He talks a lot about love. He uses variations of this word all over this particular chapter of his letter. Um, agapan, agape, um, Agape, it's it's kind of interesting looking at the variations that are here and the different ways that they are used. But essentially, it comes down to there being three terms that are interrelated to one another. So you have the term, um, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, agapo, 
which is to love. So that's the verb form. And then you have the word agape, which is the noun form of this word. And then I believe there is one more. Um, agapetos. And that actually is not in this verse. It's in the other verse that God took me to. So as Seedbet or as Dan is working his way through Lent, the passage that he is working on is in Luke chapter four, where Jesus goes into the wilderness. But this is preceded by Jesus's baptism, where the Holy Spirit comes down in bodily form like a dove and heaven opens up and a voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So that is the context of the agapetos. And so in Strong's dictionary, these words are one right after the other. They're 25, 26, and 27, which means they're all related together. So these words are all uh, related to one another. Agapetos is the adjective form, and it comes from agapo, which is the verb form, or no, sorry, the the yeah the verb form so it comes from agapo the verb form and then the noun is also interrelated and they all come with a central meaning of preference isn't that a funny thing because that is not one of the things that would have come to my mind when i try to define love preference is not that seems like an awfully weak word for one thing um, and it's absolutely not a feeling kind of a word. So it's not warm and fuzzy and it doesn't make your insides go squishy and it doesn't make it so it's hard for you to eat and you can't concentrate. So, and it's also not something that really connects with the concept of love as duty, right? So um, my husband for many years was very sick and struggled with illness and it created difficulties in our lives. Having been divorced twice, you would think it would have been easy to walk away and all that it would be would be duty holding me there, which was not true. I loved my husband. But when you bring that to preference, I certainly did not have a preference for being in a situation where all of my time was being absorbed and our resources were being absorbed by illness. And so there was no preference involved. I would not prefer to be connected to a person where that was the situation, right? So preference does not seem to be the appropriate um, understanding when it comes to our concepts of love. And so I kind of was struggling with looking at this until I got down to the bottom of what this word agape means and what it's talking to it or what it's speaking of is what God prefers. And that opened up a, a whole nother thought in my head that God gave me on this. So one of the things that scholars have a difficult time with is we know that men were made in the image of God. We know that 
doesn't particularly mean that in his fullness he carries a human body. So that's not the image that is referred to in scripture. It's not a physical image of God. And so we have difficulty defining what it is the image of God in us is. There have been a lot of proposed ideas, and one of the most common is that we are capable of thinking and reasoning, and that that is a part of the image of God in us, that the moral compass we have is a part of the image of God in us. Um, I think perhaps the image of God in us is love. And that was sort of where Dan went with this too, where he said that the reason Christ was resistant to that twisting that the enemy tries to do of our calling is because he was full of the love of God. That at his baptism and the baptism of the spirit, he was filled with the agape of God, with the preference of God, with what God prefers, the love of God. So his affections and his, his desires and his will were aligned with the preferences of God. And that, I believe, is what the image of God in us is. I believe that the image of God in us is not so much that we think or that we reason it is that we have God's preferences in us. That we have the capacity to desire what God desires. And because God is infinite and he is good, his desires and his preferences are wondrous and and magnificent and glorious and that is why when we think of love in the context of of loving someone the way that God loves us um, we have that overwhelming sense of beauty and joy and goodness and grace is because it is a reflection of of the character of God that he placed in us in the world. That is the thing that God chose to reflect of himself into creation through mankind, was the ability to love with the strength and the goodness and the majesty and the magnificence and the glory of God. And I have to say that thought right now has me nearly in tears. Um, I'm going to try really hard not to do the whole, you know, crying while I'm preaching thing because it makes my voice squeak. Um, but realistically, when you think of that picture, when you think that God created man in his image and he placed in man the image of, of himself and what that image that we get in scripture, we get that more than once. We, we don't just get that in this, this space in John where he says God is love. We also get it in John's gospel where he says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. We get the picture of what God's love is and, and what that looked like in the world. 
we understand from the beginning to the end of reading scripture that the love of God is core to who God is. It is the motivating factor between behind the things that he does and it is the guidance for all of the rest of his traits if you read scripture. Now, please don't hear me wrong because I am not talking about the squishy kind of love that just wants you to be happy. We talked about that last night. That's not God's purpose. God's purpose is to restore you to the place where you are a reflection of his infinite, glorious, beautiful love in the world. Where you are overflowingly filled with the love, the desire, the delight, the preference of God himself. And that you become as God is in that process, that he will perfect you. So that was the other word that I looked at because John in 1 John 4 is talking about perfect love casting out fear and being perfected in love. And this is something that comes up a lot because I am Wesleyan and a lot of the people I know are not. And so being perfected in love is a, a concept that in modern Protestant circles, you, you pretty much uniquely preached in Wesleyan theology that there comes a place in a human life that even here on earth, God is able through the love of Christ, through the presence of the Holy Spirit to perfect us or complete us in the power of his love that he can so fill us we usually can't stay there, but he can so fill us that now and then we touch heaven. That we become the complete thing that he has designed us to be because we get so filled with him and we become so tuned to him that we are able to be perfected. Teleio. I love that word. It's a beautiful word. So there's a concept there that God's love is designed to bring us to the final stage of restoring us to his image and relationship with God who is love. It's not that he loves, it is that he is, in his essence, love. Now, God does love you. Please don't hear that wrong. But there is no such thing as love outside of God. He is the essence and the originator of love. That is the only space where that actually exists. So now that we kind of have a concept of the magnitude of the word of love, the, what that means, and that it has to do with God's preferences and God's desires and God's goodness and holiness and majesty. I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Now again, when you hear the word love here in 1 Corinthians 13, it is that same word that John was using to state God is love. So understand that as Paul is speaking about what love is, 
he is elucidating characteristics of God. He is explaining characteristics of who God is, what it means that God is love, as well as what those characteristics should look like in us. And I want to understand love is not a feeling. It's not necessarily an action either. That's what you always hear people say is it's not a feeling, it's an action. We act out of love and that is true. That love in in some sense is particularly for us, love of God results in obedience and conformity to the desires of God. It works itself out in action. But love is God is love. That's a that's not a state of activity. It is a state of being. It isn't simply that you feel something or that you do something. It is that you are something. That you are the preferences of God. That you become the desires of God. That you become the image that he created you to be. And you become love. Because you cannot act on love and you cannot feel love until you have become who God calls you to be and become that image of him in the world and become love. So I want to understand what is love. So as we look at the words that Paul writes, I'm going to skip past the, the beginning part where he talks about not having love because that's not really what we're looking at tonight. Although I do love that part. Um, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. And I'm not going to go through the rest of the little bit, but there is one spot towards the end. He says, Now I know in part and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And I think maybe that is the sum of love in our lives. And the sum of what God calls us to be is to know him fully and to be fully known by him. And that in that process of being fully known and knowing fully, we turn around and reflect that to the people around us, that we reflect the full knowledge of God and his majesty, his kindness and his patience, his forgiveness, his self-control, his, his immense ability to rejoice in truth and to sorrow over wrongdoing, to bear all things and continue to be hope to endure all things. And we're going to look at that in just a second. 
we are supposed to be his image bearers in the world. And that is the image that we are supposed to bear. That we become the love of God, that we become the preferences of God, that we become what God prefers because he prefers us. I want you to hear that. He calls Jesus his beloved son, but Jesus calls us his beloved as well. We are beloved of God, preferred of God. He designed us. He designed us to contain his presence within us, to allow us to love the way he desired us to love, to be that in the world. Now, oftentimes when we think of love currently, we think of something warm and fuzzy. Um, we think of not hurting people's feelings. When we talk about being patient and kind, um, we talk about being nice instead of kind. When we talk about being not arrogant or rude, we actually desire people to not offend us, which is a totally different thing. Um, because offense is not about the other person's behavior. It's about your reaction to it. Um, we want people to not insist on our own way. And therefore, you know, if you are insistent that God says something, that's only your opinion. And it's not loving for you to say that this is what scripture says. Um, calling somebody to account for their bad behavior is considered resentful and irritable sometimes. Now, I want to be very careful because the truth is there have been times where I'm irritable and resentful. In fact, a couple months ago, the Lord was dealing with me over that very thing. And it breaks my heart when I recognize those things in myself where I am not reflecting well the love of God, I am very far from being perfected. Um, and it hurts my heart when I recognize that. But that does not mean that every time I make mention of things to people that need to change, that that is me being irritable or resentful which is oftentimes how people will try to categorize it because we don't like being made to be accountable a lot of times. Um, so love is all those things. It is patient and kind and does not envy or boast and it is not arrogant or rude. Um, but when we start to think of kindness as simple niceness and we think of contradicting our deeply held preferences, our preferences, Remember this, this preference thing. Our loves are disordered. So when we do not want people to challenge our deeply held preferences, we consider them arrogant and rude. And when we do not want people to challenge our deeply held preferences, we tell them that they're insisting on their own way or irritable and resentful. But here is where that is given the lie, because the very next thing says it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. 
but rejoices with the truth. Scripture gives us a picture of what it looks like to love one another. And Jesus tells us that, and, and we're coming back to some of the, the meanings in the Greek language here. Jesus tells us elsewhere that if we love him, we will follow his commands. And the command he has given us is to love one another well. There are others too. So he tells us that it is our obedience to him and our reflection of him in the world that demonstrates our love. And the fruit of the spirit passage in Galatians that we touched on a couple days ago tells us that that kind of love is not something that we are capable of ourselves. It is a status of being that occurs in us through the presence and the forming of the Holy Spirit in us. It is a fruit we bear as a result of the, front, uh, the, the Spirit in us. There's one last thing I want to touch on before we close out, and we are coming to the end of this. Um, there is another image of love that Scripture gives us. that belies the notion that love will ever be an easy and comfortable thing. There's a very strong cry in the world. You see it in memes all the time that, you know, life is too short to put up with people who make you miserable. Life is too short to be with people who don't make you happy. Um, that if somebody loves you, that they will accept you for who you are and they will make you feel good about yourself and um, and that that's the only people that are worth your time, that you loving someone has to have boundaries. And I understand, please don't hear that as you can't have healthy boundaries. That's not what I mean. But when we look in scripture and we see what this particular kind of love looks like, enacted, wrapped in flesh, walking and talking. When we see what this kind of love looks like, wrapped in flesh, walking and talking, it is a hard love. It is a love that reaches down and lifts dead girls up and tells them to get up and lifts cripples up and says, get up and walk. It is a Soft love in that instance. It is the love that restores a widow, her son. It is a love that has compassion and therefore stops and heals even when it is weary and tired. And those things all sound kind of sweet. But it is also a persistent and a relentless love that cannot be turned aside, that cannot be stopped, that is pursuing God's people. And it is a love, and this is the part we have a really hard time with. And this is the part where we have to think really hard when we decide to set boundaries 
Those boundaries have to be set by God, not by us. They have to be about his preferences and not our preferences. Because what this passage says is love endures all things. And scripture shows us what that looked like. It looked like a 33-year-old man who had spent three years teaching his best friends how to love people well and who God was, who had spent that time traveling tirelessly throughout Judea, healing, casting out demons, feeding people, performing miracles, and preaching the hope of the day of the Lord's favor, preaching and showing, demonstrating that he was the promised one of God. Love looked like that man allowing himself to be captured, beaten, flogged, with the skin torn off his back, carrying a heavy wooden beam on that raw, bleeding area of his back and his legs, carrying it for a really long distance up a hill where they laid him down on it. And they drove nails into his wrists and his feet and lifted him up so that the people that he had spent three years loving and 30 years before that preparing to love well could spit at him and make fun of him and taunt him, telling him to come down off the cross if he was the chosen one of God. That that is what love looks like. That is the preference of God. That he was so intent on restoring his image in us. That he preferred the restoration of his creation so much. That he emptied himself of glory endured unimaginable pain and suffered a criminal's death because that's what love does. That's what the love of God does. He was willing to die and lay down his life because he could take it up again and we couldn't. But in doing so, because he came, because he went through that, because he died, he made it so that when we die, we can, we can take it up again. That in him, we will have eternal life and union with God. That we will prefer the things that God prefers and he will prefer us and we will be united to him gloriously. And he gives us a foretaste of that in the way that we love one another here. In our ability to prefer others' well-being above our own. 
in our ability to prefer others' joy, in our ability to prefer the best for those that are objects of our affections. And isn't that just a glorious thing? Father God, I pray that you would give us glimpses of your love. I pray, Lord God, actually, that you would do more than give us glimpses. I pray that your spirit would fall in each one of us tonight, Lord God, that as you have begun to pour out your spirit on people, that a part of that would be that restoration of your image in us, not just a cerebral thing, not that there is anything wrong with that, Father, but that we would be restored to the image of your preferences in our hearts, that our loves would be ordered by you, Lord God, that we would be put back in the state of being your beloved and your reflection and filled with your loves, that that would be our being, Father, that when we look at each other, we can look at one another and say, Tara is love because God is love and he dwells within her. Or Donna is love because God is love and he dwells within her. Or Paul. Or Kenny. Or whatever your name is. That you are loved because God dwells within you. Father, let that be so. Let us be your love. And let us be willing, Father God, to be kind. And to be patient, Father. Even as we... Rejoice in truth and bear all things and hope eternally until you come. We ask in Jesus' name and by your spirit and all for your honor, glory, Lord. Amen. Be blessed.